All right, well, I guess we'll start, guys. Welcome to the Church Mag Podcast. Should your church be using social media? Five questions with Marcus Williamson and posts from around the web. This episode of the Church Mag Podcast, I'm sitting down with, well, at least I'm sitting, uh, with Phil Schneider and Jeremy Smith, and we are asking the question, should your church be using social media? Now, that seems like a no-brainer, right? Of course, you should be using social media. The problem comes into the fact that there are so many different social media channels. There's Facebook, there's Twitter, there's Google+, and some others as well, especially when you get into those niche social media applications like The Table, The City, whether they're free or subscription-based. So guys, what do you think? Well, it's interesting you ask this because technically my new job with Youth for Christ is social media specialist. Now, before you really begin to wow us with your knowledge here, Jeremy, I just want to state that in no way, shape, or form was this a setup. <laughs> it's true. It wasn't, <laughs> but I'm going to use it as a setup. So I am, I am of the mindset that you need to be on social media, and whatever you do, you do it well. And if you're a church that only has a volunteer that is doing the social media stuff, then you need to dedicate yourself to one social media, do it well, do it amazing. But if you have a large church, you should actually be seriously considering investing in a social media person that is paid, that is doing all of your stuff online, that is intentionally doing the outreach and reach, all of that stuff, that the power of social media in general, and you can even couple this with blogging. That's what I'm doing. I'm doing both. And the idea is that I am investing in all of this for an entire organization to be able to reach and brand and engage with all the different people in the staff and volunteers and engaging with all the students and their parents and the communities. The work there is quite easily 40 hours a week that you can actually do amazing stuff. So if, it, if it's somebody that is doing this just in their spare time, invest in one, do it great. If it's, some, if it's a possibility to do as many as possible, do as many as possible. I know as far as managing Church Mag, when you look at all the different networks, the Twitter, the Facebook, the Google+, the Pinterest, Tumblr even, when you begin to look at all these different avenues of managing social media, it can be pretty overwhelming because there are so many different channels. And then to make matters even more complicated or add an entirely uh, different layer to the issue, you then have these niche-based social networks too, like the the table or the or the city. Some free, some are free, some are premium. But then there are like these uh, intra networks as well. What what do you think about those, Phil? Well, I think I think your social media. Um policy of the church, your strategy, I guess. You need, you need to look at that. Are you are you reaching out to people outside your church? Are you giving your people shareable content that they can uh, use to reach their friends? Or are you communicating to your church people about the potluck on a Wednesday? What's the, what's the, the basis for your use of social media? Are you trying to outreach or are you just communicating with those who are already in? Oh, I like that, Phil. I like that concept of feeding Okay, kind of double meaning there. <laughs> feeding the congregation, you're feeding them content worth sharing. That's 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 excellent. Yeah, I think that's what Jeremy said. It great. Social media and blogging go hand in hand. So one of the things that uh, I'm going to be trying to do in the next few months here at my church is uh, increase our church uh, blogging effort from once a month to <laughs> to at least once or twice a week. We won't judge you, Phil. We won't judge you and your church for only doing it once a month. Thanks. My goal is to. Uh, 
to, to get more content out there for our people to one, to grow off of, but two, to share. Uh, one of my biggest um, pet peeves with like Facebook is is the ridiculous Christian content on there. You know, the pictures of, of the devil and, and a picture of Jesus like for Jesus scroll for the devil. I mean, it's ridiculous stuff. Look, Phil, I, I for one am not going to take a chance of not making it through the pearly gates. I will share it with 10 friends. Don't be one of those. Please don't. Yeah, no joke. But I, I think social media for churches, if it's used wrong, I think one of the simplest ways it's used wrong is that social media becomes a way of doing Sunday announcements all week long, which is okay. But to a certain point, people out your 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 church people are commenting on and sharing posts and whatnot. You don't want outsiders to see how the sausage is made. If we can hit back at last week's podcast, there's no reason for wow because of the sausage fingers. <laughs> yeah, it is. There is no reason for uh, outsiders to see all the nitty gritty details of your church. Like you don't need to if your if your church Facebook posts uh, somebody left the basketball goals down in the gym. Please make sure to put those back up. And like four or five people in your church share that status. I mean. What does that get you? But if your church has got a strategic way of of giving content to your members to uh, to share and, and to pass on to friends, then I, totally you need to be in the mainstream social media networks. If you ha- if you need to do a lot of inward communication, like if you have a decentralized church model to where it's like a once a week service and a lot of small groups, then a a church specific social media network like the table or the city makes a lot more sense. Ah, interesting. Well, if you don't mind me doing this, Jeremy, I'm going to push back slightly. Do it. All right. I think sharing, you know, the potluck information and special events and announcements via the social media, I think that that is perfectly fine and all right. Just make sure that you're mixing it with the valuable content. I mean, when you sit down to have a meal, you have different portions of different things. And, you know, as much as you might not like broccoli or the greens on your plate, for a healthy diet, you need to have them there and you need to consume them. But just please, 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 when you're serving up your social media, make sure that you have some steak maybe, maybe some mashed potatoes, and always have a good YouTube, I mean dessert along with your social media service. So I'm hungry now. You're welcome. (laughs) I I think that as much as it's good to talk about those things, the reality is, is we as churches don't have a strategy for social media. And so we just post anything and everything. And the reality is in all the social media context, we want to use it as a tool. We just don't know how to use the tool. And so we pick up the hammer and start hammering the nail with the handle. And the reality is if we don't go into something like this and have a strategy that we need to actually stop, sit down, figure out what it is we want to use the social network for, have the voice of the church actually conveyed in everything we're doing. And so if you're a church that loves to have potlucks, communicate that. If you're a church that loves to have outreach events, service projects, mission trips, all these things, communicate that well. And I think that you can easily do that if you take a day and try to figure out what you want to say with all the networks. Right, and I think also when you to answer the kind of the question that we started this all out started this all out with is, you know, should the church should my church be on social media or however you want to phrase it? The obvious answer I think we've covered here is yes, but make sure you do a good job doing it and make sure that you start in a place in a in a network that your congregation congregates. It's just it's just a natural way to do things. So, if you don't have anyone in your church on Twitter, but they're all on Facebook, then it'd probably be a good idea to start on Facebook before anywhere else. So, you know, make sure you have a plan, make sure you're tweeting out shareable information, 
and make sure you start where everyone's at. It's just, it's just, it just makes sense and it's common sense. But you know, when you see how many networks there are, it can be a little bit overwhelming. You, need, you definitely have to go where people are, especially your people, because let's face it, at the beginning, who's going to like your page? Who's going to follow you? But your own people. That's that's your built-in fan base. Go where they are, and from there branch out. Like our church is on Google Plus, but we don't do much with it because none of our people are there yet. And so we're we're, we're establishing a small presence there, but we're not investing a ton of our resources into it because we have very few people on Google Plus. Uh, if anyone is on there, they're they use Facebook predominantly anyway, so they're already getting the Facebook content there. Now, if you listen really close, Phil. I'm pretty sure you could hear Dustin Stout screaming at the top of his lungs. It's true. He's well, I, I'm, I'm sure. And actually, one of my summer goals was to get more involved in Google Plus. It just hasn't happened because I just, I'm. It's been a crazy summer here for me. But I, I do appreciate Google Plus and its differences from the other medias uh, or medium or I don't know on Latin there is. But my point. And all of that is, I, guess, I think, start with your people, like you said, and you can, you can do creep in other medium and other venues slowly. But don't be creepy about it. Don't be creepy. No, don't be a creeper. You but, can creep, but yeah, don't be creepy about exactly. it. Slowly expand into, the, into those other venues. Like Jeremy said, you've got to invest time in it because you have to learn what content is shareable and what, and what stream. You know, certain things will share on Facebook, but they don't they don't work very well in Google Plus. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. And you know, one thing that I've been trying to do with like the Church Mag Twitter is for years it's just been the regurgitation of Church Mag posts, whether they're new or old, and it's just been cycling through that like some sort of factory. Uh, so as I've been trying to change what the Church Mag Twitter is uh, and and making it worth following is retweeting others, tweeting interesting content outside of the Church Mag blog post and making the Church Mag blog post, trying to make that a little bit more of the minority of tweets opposed to the majority of tweets to add that value. And I think the same thing could be applied, the same concept could be applied to churches. You know, your main content uh, needs to be mixed in there, but it shouldn't be so overbearing that whenever someone sees your tweet, it's just like, oh, there's another potluck. Even if you love potlucks. <laughs> Apparently you do. Apparently. So there's actually a rule out there that's called the four to one rule where you, for every ask you do, whether it's come to this event, check out this blog post, talk to a pastor if you want, that you're, you're giving four other tweets or social media posts where you're sharing stuff. And so that might be on Facebook with a photo, you tag some people and you let everybody see all these amazing things that are happening or you offer some opportunities for people to have prayer at the church, whatever it is that you are giving to other people. Now, with churches, their solution might be, let's go on and just share a bunch of scripture. Probably not going to work, but you can try it. But this just this idea that you are actually having a conversation with people, that you are doing more than just curating your content that you're actually talking with people. Wow, and that is a literal pro tip because Jeremy Smith is a social media pro. <laughs> for real, he gets paid for social media. <laughs> I think it's a great point. I'm not like that. This is an exaggeration. <laughs> this is this is a fact. This can be documented by his his uh, paycheck. I, I think that that's a great point from Jeremy, and that's I think it's why I was well, I was trying to get at part of uh, picking one stream to, to jump into head first because it's it's a conversation. It has to be a dialogue. Um, we we've tried before, and we've not been great at this. Um, 
trying to start a dialogue on the medium with people, our own people and others as well. And uh, it's, I, I think it's a, one, it's a much more respectful way of being on social media. It's not all about, hey, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, read, read our posts, go to our events. It's all, it's about being being a good neighbor, being a friend on there and asking questions, trying to provoke thought and trying to uh, help people where they are. This episode's five questions features the most talented Marcus Williamson. He is a designer living in Columbia, South Carolina. He has a passion for branding, illustrating, and print design. Sweet. First question. This is one of my favorites. And like I've said before, one of the more personal questions. Where do you keep your mobile phone at night? Oh, man. Right. It's actually like right by my pillow. So it's like underneath my pillow. Um, and so like the way I sleep is like I have one arm underneath the pillow. So anytime like if I can reach over, I'll try to like grab it just in case like something happens or an Instagram message or something or t- Twitter or anything. Like in the middle of the night? Yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. I should tweet you more in the morning because I'm six hours ahead. So that would be perfect, right? Yeah. <laughs> so like it'll be like right there. Now, sometimes I have I'll have it on Do Not Disturb. And so I'll just like when I wake up, it'll be right there. I'll know it's right there and I'll wake up and I'll check it really quick. But other than that, if it's on, then yeah, I'll probably nine times out of 10 check it. Not going to lie. That's intense. <laughs> what is your favorite place to find design inspiration? Wow. At Trade Secrets here, Marcus. I mean, this is this is where it gets real. I know, right? I'm telling you, dude. Um, well, Design Inspiration um, by Shelby White is really good. And that's kind of where I get a lot of my inspiration from as far as that. Um, and then there's like just a lot of other places. Um, I have a, a few favorites in the design world. I don't know if that's a question towards the end or not. But. The next question I was going to ask you is name your three most favorite blogs. So maybe, yeah, give us an idea of some of your favorite blogs yeah. as well as your favorite places to go for inspiration. Yeah, man. Um, John Catino, um, he's an awesome illustrator that's based out of New York City. Um, or he's in New York, rather. But he does some sick, nasty, awesome, whatever other word you want to use, um, designs. And so uh, I love going to his site, checking him out, just trying to grab as much as I can and from him. And so it's johncatino.com. Another guy is uh, James Graves, and his site is called visualjams.com. And uh, I love his typography as well. He's really good. And again, design inspiration. Uh, Shelby White is really good. And then there's like a slew of other people I could just rattle off. James White from Signal, Signal Noise, Jeff Sheldon from Ugmunk. Like all these guys are really, really talented. And all these links are going to be in this podcast awesome. linked up because I know people are going to be like, I got to click. I got to click. I mean, if they don't know it and, you know, you know, somebody really loves a resource and a site when they can rattle off the URL like you just did. <laughs> Yeah, man. I, I like. Almost, I would say every morning, like that's all I go to. Like I'll just go to their site, and nine times out of ten, it's going to be the same thing because like this is their portfolio site, and they have their blog and they have all that stuff, and I'll go to that. But like I just love going to their portfolio and just just to grab inspiration from that. And I would say design inspiration is more blog worthy because that's posted by uh, the community that's within design inspiration. So yeah. Yeah, man, I dig all those people. All right, which do you prefer, a pad and a pencil or a screen and an app? I would lean more towards a pad and a pencil, and mainly because I 
like right now I've done this year more illustration work than I've done like the past, like probably two or three years. And I'm just getting back to my roots, so to speak. Um, and that's why I like John Catino and, and um, James Graves a lot is because like you, you look at their work um, and you know that it's not perfect. You know that it's not um, you know, the stock stock font. It's their personal hand-drawn font, and you can tell the imperfections, and I love that. And so recently I've just been doing more of that. Um, it's, like I've noticed that a lot of people in my area dig that. So, yeah, I would say I, I would go more you know, pad, pencil, and eraser. Yeah, you know, it's interesting as the digital realm field palette, tool, whatever you want to call it, the longer that's been around, the more original the organic art has become because it's such a contrast of what's out there. And if anyone's followed any of your work, Marcus, you can tell right away that you you do an excellent job of of blending those two together to get really authentic, original pieces of work. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Just look at what you've done with the Church Mag wallpapers. I mean, talk about original. Yeah. (laughs) That's where I... uh, I tried to get a lot of like my tests in as well, like for the July one. I was like, let me see what happens when I do this. And so that's awesome. Like I digged it so much that I was just like, I think this this can fly. And so yeah, man, I'm like definitely was definitely excited about that. Um, and I can't wait for August. Like I feel like August is going to be a really fun one too. You're like a mad scientist in the lab cooking stuff up. I wonder if this will work. Exactly. <laughs> All right, question number five. What did you want to grow up and be when you were seven years old? Wow, seven. I actually wanted to be a fire, fireman, which is odd, I guess. But for whatever reason, I grew up wanting to be that. Um, and then that changed. And, you know, like most boys at a young age, like you want to grow up and be a superhero. So Spider-Man was always mine. Of course. I could have guessed Spidey. I could have guessed it. <laughs> <laughs> my choice of, of uh, superheroes but yeah fire, a firefighter um, lo and behold I didn't do that but that's what I wanted to, to be so what was kind of the, the flashpoint or what caught your attention or your eye or what really captured your heart when it came to pursuing design and art well my dad was a really good um, illustrator I still say he's better than me um, the only thing is he just doesn't have the digital part down but yeah I would say my dad was like the main person that drew me towards it um, and obviously the Lord I mean you know um, in terms of all that like the Lord technically was the one but like from a human standpoint uh, my dad I would say would be the person that kind of drew me towards it and then from there I just kind of you know looked at all like the different art history Picasso and all these guys and then from there got to Jeff Shelton and Ugg Monk and all these guys um, currently awesome Marcus thank you for being on yeah man that was fun all right jeremy phil top post from around the web what caught your eye recently um so my post is i love and imaginary ways to use social media for your church by steve fogg and i am in this mode of doing social media i'm looking at how to do conferences well for all of you through christ and the nation as we come together for a huge conference in january and I was trying to figure out how can we actually start to engage with each other better, do stuff for the people that are coming as opposed to trying to just send out stuff as a brand. And so increasing engagement and doing fun things for them. And so he actually has 11 awesome ways that churches can use social media that is not your typical 
look at this Jesus post or look at how amazing this church is. It's it's almost a behind the scenes in every aspect of your church to make your church go from something that is up front and behind a pulpit to relational, honest, true, encouraging leadership development. It's really cool. Go check it out. It's given me a lot of different ideas for this conference on how to engage well with new people that we've never met and for your church to be able to use something like this so that you can actually engage a community that's never stepped in, put a foot into the door would be amazing. That will definitely be in the link dump. That sounds epic and has a lot to do with what we've been talking about at the beginning of the podcast about churches and social media. And as far as these conferences and your pro status as a social media guy, uh, we'll be definitely looking forward to some awesome church mag posts about this stuff. No pressure, Jeremy. No pressure. Phil, what do you got? I got an article. Uh, it's from The, the Verge. Uh, it was, uh, I saw it tweeted out by um, by Saddington a few days ago. Who? <laughs> yeah. Uh, everything you need to know about PRISM, that's the uh, NSA's um, spying program. That's the program that's currently recording this podcast uh, for us, actually. Thanks to our sponsor, the NSA. Yeah, we'd save them a lot of time because I edit it. Yeah, exactly. So, well, we're done. Right. I don't know why they just don't subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, hey, it's one thing about the NSA. They're thorough. They're they're ridiculously thorough. Anyway, um, I'm a big, um, I don't know, liberty nut. I'm big on politics and stuff. So I'm going to follow this whole story pretty closely about the NSA and the the content uh, grabbing they've been doing online. And uh, this article is a very nice little, uh, it's called a, a cheat sheet in the subtitle, uh, way, to, way to look at the whole scandal, the whole situation, and get it very concisely um, worded, very very simply worded. They've um, sexually, they define some of the acronyms being thrown about like NSA and FISA and FISC and all that stuff so people can... Uh, understand what's going on. I think it's very important that people know what the government's been doing. Not that we should be, I don't think we're, I don't want to join the tinfoil brigade and be freaked out by, by all this, but it's, it's not, it's not right and shouldn't be happening. And I think that, that knowledge is power and more people should understand what's been, been done in their name. You don't have a pushback, Jeremy? No, I do. <laughs> it got so quiet there for a minute, I thought the NSA cut me off. <laughs> <laughs> this man knows too much. Delete. Well, I, I, I totally understand what you're saying, and I think that the prism and all this stuff is difficult. And there's both sides of it. There's how much do we want to have privacy and how much of it do we want to have freedom with civil liberties within the realm of protecting everybody. So... If it's fear-based and we're worried about all this stuff, then we need to go on the side of PRISM and the NSA. And if we want to have freedom and screw the government, then we go on the idea of privacy. But the reality is, is you are offering up so much information online and social media that while there might be some stuff in your email that you don't want people to read, the reality is, is my generation and the generation above me is sharing so much information that we really need to be yelling at ourselves first before we start yelling at the government. I agree, but I disagree because there's a difference between sharing ignorantly and having information taken without your permission. So that's my agree. my pushback to your pushback. <laughs> but I agree. People share too much. Um, believe me, I, I people reading Facebook, sometimes people share way too much. And to me, it's not so much the information that's being collected, because Jeremy's right. Most of this information is already out there in some way. Um, the phone records kind of freaks me out a little bit, but it's not so much what they're collecting as uh, how it's being organized and cataloged to where essentially 
each person is they can they can essentially search me and search all of my digital footprint in a matter of minutes. Yeah, I think we all can agree, Phil, that this is far too 1984 to make anyone comfortable. Yeah, exactly. Well, I've got nothing to hide is what people say, but you have nothing to hide right now. But what happens when your political position becomes uh, a target? Yeah, a target. Yeah, exactly. Well, in reality, you should be writing like everybody's watching and assume nobody is. Okay, you win. (laughs) My interesting post this week is by Sean Groves. It's longing for the good old days of the Internet. And he basically talks about how a few years ago there was a lot of personal blogs. Everyone had blogs that they were writing about from a personal perspective, like public journals, essentially. And... They were great for comments. They were great for community, but they were very, very small groups of people. There are a lot of comments, that sort of thing. But as marketing and uh, niche blogs have come on the rise, those are great too. Niche blogs, Church Mag is a niche blog as well. But as far as a personal aspect, it really lacks. It's not like the the old kind of 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 personal blogs, even a lot of people that do have a blog, like, hey, I blogged about such and such, it's still a niche. Like, Phil, you have a blog that's not tech-related, but it still has its own niche. And the whole personal blogs seem to have kind of died away, and it's kind of missed. And in some ways, it's starting to come back a little bit. And so let me just ask you guys, how many real personal blogs do you guys follow, or are they all just Niche blogs. That's a good question. I think uh, I follow – well, the problem with the personal blog is, okay, if it's someone's name.com, is that a personal blog? Well, no, because a lot of folks I follow, they're, they're pastors or leaders, and so it's, the content's mostly about being a pastor or being a leader. I, I think what happened is a lot of personal blogs – like my my wife used to follow a lot of mommy bloggers, and so it was about being, being a mom and journaling their lives. It slowly became more about how to do what they do rather than, than what they're doing and who they are. Does that make sense? I think we've come to a point where yeah, personal blogs delved into, okay, this is me personally. This is my life. And now it's about how I live my life and how I do it, how you can can live my life too kind of thing. So it's it's kind of evolved towards the niche blog because those kind of blogs are – tend to be – from especially from an SEO standpoint, are a lot easier to monetize. Yes, exactly. And I think that the other part about all this is people – don't want to feel vain online and it's very easy to feel vain. And so outside of my job, I have nobody I'm following, but even within inside my job of trying to engage with people, that are blogging about what's going on in their ministry. It almost seems like people are having a tough time to do that because they feel like all they're doing is talking about themselves and all this, even though they need to be communicating with donors and parents that they have a tough time doing that. It's kind of like that social media idea we were talking about self-promotion, but they feel like they're doing that with their blog. Yeah, and so the idea of storytelling and engaging with people is actually a difficult thing for them, and to be able to do that well is almost a natural talent or something that needs to be intentionally developed online. So where do you guys see the personal blog going? Because I know personally I've thought about bringing a personal blog, uh, hitching it onto my splash page or whatever you want to call it, my personal URL, okay, and just talk about whatever I feel like talking about because there are some times where something comes up or an idea or a thought that I would like to share, but it doesn't really fit in any of my in any of my blog properties. Uh, but then at the same time, I kind of feel like what you're saying, Jeremy, where it feels kind of vain, where like, you know, I'm going to talk about this and then I expect people to read it. What? Well, that's why I, 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 feel, I feel the same way. That's why 
my um my blog's been going through so many different uh, redesigns and different phases in the past few months. I'm trying to find a way a way to do to do just that. Um, I'm currently like building a family blog for my wife and I, so we can post stuff about our family and about about our our kid and our any future kids. And for that very reason, I want to I want a personal outlet, you know, a place where I can share what makes me me, but it's not just like professional content. It won't be. I won't be examining each post. I won't, there won't be a question at the end of every post. There won't be a bullet list every post. This is going to be my thoughts on various things. For someone that uses social media within Google+, I think that I have zero ability to actually do that because I do it so much on social media where I'm intentional about not being niche or business-like on social media within Google+. I'm talking about my frustrations with church technology, my desire to see people doing everything better within their ministry, that I'm actually probably conveying everything I would on a blog in social media on Google+, because you can write almost entire articles in there and people engage so well. Of course, that, again, is a little bit niche. I'm, I'm talking about like a rationale about a decision on church mag or um, my experience of working from home or, I mean, real almost, almost kind of random-ish, but very central core personal. See, and that's actually interesting stuff, whereas I had read about how to improve uh, your shopping experience at a Walmart checkout line. See, no one's going to read that. I would read that. I don't know. But those are, those are the kind of thoughts that pop in my head. I'm like, I should write a, a, a tome about this. Like, I'll get mad about something, and I'm like, I'm going to write about this. And then I'm thinking, and post it where? Who's going to read this? So then I drop, I drop it. So let me ask you guys, do you think that the personal blog is dead? I don't see it coming back in the original form. If it does come back, it's going to come back in a, a stripped down, here's some personal stuff, but then a lot of it will still be private. So I just don't, I don't see it coming back in full force like it did before. I think the pull to monetize is too strong. I think everybody on Blogspot has probably got a personal blog. Everybody outside of Blogspot doesn't. (laughs) And with that, I guess maybe we'll do this again. Sure. Sounds good to me. I'm not saying that you're ugly. I'm well aware that I'm not the eye candy of Church Mag. When you're angry, you rap. That would be hilarious. Eric gets mad. Honey, drop a beat. You know, that's right. I'm mad. <laughs> Uh-oh. He's beatboxing, kids. <laughs> you better go to your room. This is a Church Mag production.